This episode of Guitar Radio Show is brought to you in part by... Isn't it time for a truly custom-made guitar? Unique design and construction. Handmade in America. Innovation to fuel your inspiration. Go to dnaguitarcompany.com. And also by... Hey everybody, Mark David from Guitar Radio Show. Have you heard about LockKnob? LockKnob.com? LockKnob is a revolutionary product invented by a musician for musicians, solving the long-time problem of lost settings. How many times have you been at a gig or a session only to have to reset all of your settings on your amp or your pedals because they move during transit? You can upgrade your existing knobs on your amp, pedals, mixer, guitar, almost anything with a pot with an all-aluminum quality made reusable knob that does more than just look pretty. Never lose your settings again. Lock it down with LockKnob. Go to LockKnob.com for more. Welcome to Guitar Radio Show, the show dedicated to the guitar player, guitar maker, gear builder, and purveyors of such items that you may not know about, but should. Here's your host, Mark Davin. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 136 of Guitar Radio Show. Dos in one week, man. Hey, check it out. We've got Mr. Paul Nelson with us today uh, from the Paul Nelson Band. He was uh, Johnny Winter's... um, musical director and sideman for many, many years, and also he was his producer and his road manager. I mean, the guy does it all. Um, and uh, he's he's uh, been producing a whole bunch of stuff. He just produced um, uh, uh, Lance uh, Lopez's uh, record uh, live in New York City. It was the one that's live from B.B. Uh, King's in, in Times Square. Great disc. Holy crap. Um and uh, we have an in-depth conversation with him today to talk about his new record, Badass Generation. And, uh, folks, you really need to uh, go to paulnelsonband.com. You can check out some stuff there. And paulnelsonguitar.com. And uh, lots of cool stuff there. Okay? All right. We're going to play a little bit of uh, a little snippet of the Paul Nelson band, Badass Generation, one of my favorite cuts from the record. We'll play a little bit of that and then we'll get into the episode, into the uh, interview in a sec. But I want to remind you, guitarradioshow.com. I know I say that a lot, but it's because I have to. Um, Also, I want to remind you, Scott Gaylor. Tips, tricks, and licks number five on guitarradioshow.com and our, on our YouTube channel. Uh, if you can't just if you just can't get enough of Scott, which many people can't, I know I'm one. Um, he has a great record called Technicolor Monochrome. Highly recommend it. Go to scottgaylor.com. Uh, he's also doing Skype lessons there, which are badass. I mean, just I know we got a theme going here. Badass. They are really really good. He's an amazing guitar player. Great teacher. And uh, I think you'll dig uh, the tips, tricks, and licks. You can see them all on GuitarRadioShow.com or on um, our YouTube channel. Okay? All right. 
Let's get into it. What do you say? Here's some uh, here's a, some snippet from uh, the Badass Generation album from the Paul Nelson Band, and then we'll get right into it. Ready? Guitar Radio Show. Guitar Radio Show. Hang on. Dot com. Well, folks, if you've uh, ever owned a mid-70s Camaro and, or Nova and had some great tunes as you're blowing down the highway, our next guest, who is returning to Guitar Radio Show, has just the album for you. It's a record called, it's a record called Badass Generation, and it's by the Paul Nelson Band, and we have Mr. Paul Nelson in the house. How are you, Paul? Thanks, and thanks for that introduction because that's exactly what I was trying to achieve. Well, I, I, I tell you, man, I'm listening to this record, and I'm like, ah, I'm, 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 I'm on the highway, man, and I got, I'm blasting this music. It's great. That's I wanted to rec- recreate that. I wanted to, I wanted to delve back to that time and see what you know what what made that music so special. What 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 were the components? I mean, the guitar sounds. You know that uh, uh, the classic kind of album format where the songs uh, were purposely put in a certain order mm-hmm. to, to, you know, with the instrumentation, with, and 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 to just make it so. And, and I think that's what it is—just something that you you would listen to and just drive. And I, I, I for the cover, I picked what I thought would be the most iconic-looking. Um, Well, you nailed it. You nailed it. <laughs> yeah, you totally nailed it on all on all on all points. Even the even the album cover, you nailed it. <laughs> so a- after, I mean, after us losing and you losing Johnny, um, and 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 having to go through that. And and then finishing up the projects that were attached to that, which we're going to talk to talk about in a little bit. Yeah, sure. What what uh, what was the inspiration for Badass Generation? Uh, I, I I knew it was time that I that, that I finally branched out and did my own thing. Johnny was very supportive the whole time I was with him. Uh, he always told me, you know. I, I know you're helping me out, but I want to see your career do well. He took me under his wing, like we said in, in previous interviews. You now he, he showed me uh, uh, artists from from back in the in the early '50s and blue, uh, blues artists that I should listen to and learn specific riffs. And at the same time, you know, he said, "Paul, I know you know a lot of a lot of different styles of music stuff that I can't even play, and I but I'm happy that you play blues with me." So, you know, I I could have. I couldn't put the easy route and, and put out an album that was 
sounded like Johnny because I was with him so long and played like him and this and that. You know, and I was with him long enough where I, you know, it was response and easy if you're around somebody long enough to absorb all that, especially since I was a, you know, professional musician. I know how to learn riffs from someone and, you know, what their style is and why they're playing. But I didn't go that route. I just, I just played what I felt was, was me. Mm-hmm. So when I, when I got the musician from, uh, I got the Morton Fredheim from Europe and produced him uh, several years ago, he actually came on tour. His band opened up for Johnny on a lot of shows on the East Coast. I said, I got to get this singer one day, you know, when he's freed up. And he was, he was number two on The Voice in Europe. Mm-hmm. And uh, flew him over. I got uh, Chris Redden from Papa Chubby, who's now on tour with uh, Nikki Hill. I got uh, Chris Alexander on bass, who plays with some fish. And we just had a lockdown in the studio. And we, you know, we just started creating. But we were all fans of that style of music, you know. So what we did was we listened to uh, music from the 70s just to get psyched up into doing it. You know, we listened to Queen, we listened to Zeppelin, we listened to Sabbath, uh, Montrose, uh, mm. uh, Skin- Skinner, uh, Tom Petty, anything that came up, you know, that we searched that was 70s. And uh, so that inspired us. And then production-wise, I wanted to get that double guitar sound. I wanted to get those uh, classic lead solo kind of mm-hmm. kind of uh, things happening, you know, where the solo was a song in itself. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the lyrics and, and the, 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 the songwriting. So, I, you know, I didn't go the instrumental rap this time, but just, you know, the, I, and it was so inspirational to work with a great singer. So um, that really helped the, the, the creative process. And, and uh, you know, I got signed to Sony, and it just came out in Japan a week ago. It came out um, like a month or so ago over here in the States, and it's doing really well. I'm, I'm, I'm really happy with it. Well, it's it's really, I mean, it's it's got everything I was looking for. And I didn't expect, I, you know, I thought I thought initially, I was like, okay, well, I know his previous work, I know his work with Johnny, I know how he produced Johnny, and I know how he played with Johnny, and then I also know your fusion stuff, too, where, where you know, you can go off into, like, Jeff Lorberland or Jeff Beckland, even, sometimes. Exactly. You know, and... and but I didn't, I didn't know what to expect, and when I... Here I am, I pop this in, and I'm going, oh, wow... And I'm like, wow, how much, what other things are you hiding from us? <laughs> oh, well, that's, that's the thing, yeah. And I, I'm so glad that it surprised you, because I wanted to surprise everybody, but at the same time, I just wanted to create music that was, and I forgot to mention Aerosmith, there's a big influence yeah, from them as for well. Sure. But, um, oh, oh, and Bad Company and Free, I mean, yeah. you know, but the, the singer's a huge fan of uh, uh, Paul Rogers. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, uh, and each each song has a different vibe or a different groove and a, and a different style to it, a different instrumentation, but they all seem to fit together. That was the you know, to, to arrange them in, in such a way that, uh, um, you know, they, they it flows so that when you go in that car, when you go in that classic uh, uh, Barracuda or uh, uh, Vet or whatever it is, you just put it in and you just forget where it started and where it ended and it mm-hmm. just loops around and loops around you go on a cross-country yeah. trip or something. So yeah. the, the biggest compliment I got from, um, I, I forget what they said, it, it seemed like a classic 
uh, recording that I forgot to buy. I hadn't, I wasn't part of my collection yet. And that's what I wanted to create. I wanted to create another one of those kind of things to, to, to get people into, as, into that album as, as like a, a, a Night at the Opera, you know, a, uh-huh. or, or like physical graffiti or something like that. Yeah. But I, I really wanted to make one of those. So again, the songwriting was important, the lyrics, everything. And uh, I had such a great singer and such great players that, you know, writing, the writing process was just like easy, really easy. That's great. We, we, yeah, we wrote all the stuff right in the studio. I used, uh, I used filtering some of the rhythm. I used marble. I used Hang on, you're breaking up a little bit. You're breaking up. I want to get all this. So yeah, I use. Uh, go ahead. I use quilter, quilter amps. Oh yeah. Yep. Uh, I doubled uh, all the rhythms. Uh, I used uh, Marshall's uh, the Silver Jubilee. Oh, that's my amp right there, man. Um, I used uh, I used a DJ Mark the uh, multi amp. Mm-hmm. I used uh, my GJ two guitars. I used. Um, Strats, Les Pauls, acoustic guitars, Taylors. You know, I just wanted to create a, a nice mix of sounds. And there's a, a large variety of songs on, you know, and the trick was to keep it all cohesive. Yeah, and it's, what, I, what I really marveled at was the fat sound of it. It's just such a big sound. Ah, thanks. Well, you know, I, I had a great engineer, Phil McDonough. He's like a three-time Grammy winner. I, I've used him on a lot of stuff. He's he worked here at the Carriage House for years, and he again he works with Mike Stern, Steve Kahn, mm-hmm. Bill Evans. Uh, he worked on all, a lot of uh, heavy rock stuff at the Carriage House. You know, tons of bands came in and out. So he was perfect. He's like the guitar guy. You know, he, he really works well with delays and compression and. Uh, really ramps up that, that guitar sound so once I delivered that product to him he knew what I was going for and you know the drum sound was very important and uh, you know and he works great with vocals so, uh, I was the job he's trying to do because other um, you know we use specific kind of mining techniques so that um, the drums would have like a 70s kind of vibe you know it was uh it was funny, I was talking to the guitar player from Boston, I did a show with him mm-hmm. in Massachusetts, um, I guess he was a sitting guest, so was I, and I said, look, I gotta ask you something, you know, I'm working on this record, and I love Boston, I love the acoustic guitar sounds, the rhythm guitar sounds, I said, and especially the drum sounds, I go, how did you get those drums so compressed? And uh, he said, uh, real teeny rooms, and then I heard from somebody else, uh, they said shag carpeting because mm. I guess in the 70s all the walls were lined with carpeting the ceilings <laughs> and everything so it just absorbed all that sound so so we really tried to recreate that with the right type of compression and whatnot and you know the mastering process affected as well the, uh, the big thing was recording the drums in mono you know mm-hmm. overhead mics kick drum snare very rarely did they uh, mic the toms they didn't want too much well I guess they didn't know them but they didn't have control over the drums which was actually engineers don't like that now but 
it, it gave that kind of sound where you couldn't bring up the toms. They, it had this reverby kind of sound, and then a lot of ambient mics too, you know, big room mics. Right. We recorded we recorded in a room like you know Zeppelin kind of thing, or like U two, where the mics were way up in the ceiling, and we really blended in the ambient sound as well. So, and that helped the guitars, the guitar sound. Yeah, and totally. That totally makes sense. Interview, so yeah. <laughs> that totally makes sense. I never even thought of it that way. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's so funny because you think back to like, like um, Led Zeppelin Four when they recorded at Headley Grange and they they put the drums in the foyer in that in, around that spiral staircase there, and it had this yeah. big enormous sound. But but when you think of Boston, yeah, it's got that really compressed, tight, really tight sound. Yeah, well, luckily, when working with uh, Phil, the engineer, Phil McNaughty, he had access to um, those uh, rare recordings where you can, uh, you know, like like they do behind the music where you can isolate the tracks. Yeah. So he had, um, and that was a circulating around, you know, we, we, so we were able to analyze, uh, you know, Boston recordings and Queen recordings and, and solo out the guitars and solo out the, you know, the vocal lines. And you hear these guitar parts, and they sound so thin by themselves. And, and if you were to record sound like that today, you'd say, "Oh, we got to do that again." That that guitar now is just horrible. But <laughs> when it was put into the mix, it fits so perfectly. Yeah. And the key, the key was compression. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I didn't want to overdo it so that it was so dated. So then, once you get that sound, you know, we we put back in some low end and, and beefed it up to to. to to be, you know, current, but still paying tribute to that. You know, like the rival song. You know that drum is bomb. You know, all the way. And it's like a, it's like my, a, a kick drum, like five feet away from the kick drum. You don't even put it up close. Mm-hmm. But there were a lot of techniques. It wasn't just the music that was, it was the production value that I wanted to do. You know? Yeah, well, so. yeah, it's it's there for sure. I mean, and I, you know, and that's so true. You're so right on because the production value lends to the feeling that the music's going to give you too. It's all part and parcel. Exactly, they're all part and parcel because if if, if you're writing songs in that in that kind of vein, and all of a sudden it's not matching sound, you, you, the creative process just stops. I mean, it's like it's like trying to play Hendrix on a on a S with a a PV amp mm-hmm. you know you're playing all the right you're playing all the riffs but for some reason you know if you don't detune the guitar down a half step it's close but it's not right so I really had I really had to study the recording technique and, and uh, you know for anybody listening that, that that wants to go that route it's very and the doubled guitars and the way you and the rhythms of the guitars mm-hmm. hard left hard right like quarter after and quarter of that was the the big big thing you know mm-hmm. you have to double exactly but you want them off a little bit so that they get thicker you know that right. the Bob Ezrin the Bob Ezrin kind of wall of guitar sound from mm-hmm. the past mm-hmm. you know and all that Kiss stuff and Pink Floyd and all the stuff he worked with sure but but uh, yeah so that's what I went for and I you know I didn't want to you know I had done the instrumental stuff and all the ripping and the shredding and people know that I that I shred but um you know, I really wanted to uh, service the song. Yeah, yeah, and but there's plenty of playing on here. I mean, the track "Out of Time" is uh, it, yeah, holy crap! I mean, you're tearing it up. 
that was just a free for all. That was a one time solo. I just, I just, I said, I'm just going for it. That was a one taker. That's yeah. great. I love that. Thanks. That was really. Yeah, there's a variety of stuff on there. So yeah, and like I said, it's, it's uh, it was a lot of work, a lot of great musicians. Oh, and I have uh, the keyboard player, uh, Danny Lewis from Government Mule. Oh wow. And I had the services of Tom Permy, uh, Warren Haynes' guitar tech, uh-huh. with, who brought an arsenal, an arsenal of 60s and 70s guitars that was just like, you know, I'd, I'd be sitting there behind the, the, the board and I was like, boy, I wish I had this kind of guitar for this kind of sound. And all of a sudden, that be with the guitar right in front of me. I was like, oh, perfect. It was this <laughs> yeah. So that's very important, too. Yeah, for so, sure. Wow, that's yeah, great. So, it was a real group effort. I'm really happy how it turned out. What was the What was the first track you uh, you guys actually recorded? Um. Oh wow! Nobody's ever asked me that. You're good. <laughs> uh, da, 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 da. I think. I think. Um, oh, oh, it was. Uh, uh, I think it was out of time, and then. Uh, um. Um. Uh, by love, that kind of ZZ Top kind of. Uh-huh. Uh, Waiting for the bus to chug, right? Or like uh, that that Van Halen done uh, a that kind of right uh, little dreamer kind of riff, you know? Right. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Um, those were the two, and we we recorded uh, five of them at Leslie West Studio with Mike Goldberg, who who um, who uh, worked on Step Back, uh-huh. Johnny's record. So we went down there, then we did another five at. Um, uh, the chops, and then uh, we blended them all together. So, so how do you when you when you finish a project like this and you say, okay, it's time to sequence the album? How how do what makes you decide that you start the record with Down Home Boogie, which is one of my favorite tracks on the record, and a great way to open great way to open an album? But what? I'm so glad I, I couldn't sleep trying to figure out which track to open with because that's it. You know, it's like, that's the start of the album. Yeah. That's, that's the one. So the, the, do you want it to kick in the nuts, or do you <laughs> want it to slowly build? Do you want to look everything out in the beginning? But right. I, I thought that that had enough of, of what this album was about with the uh, the type of rhythm, the type of sound. Plus, I, I play slide guitar in that, so it had mm-hmm. a little variety in there. Yeah. It was either going to be that or Cold Hearted Mama, but I felt that that was too... too the tempo was fast and I, I'm big on making sure that each one isn't in the same key keys mm-hmm. really matter mm-hmm. you know it, we, we, you know you get that a lot if, if you have like a, a slide cartoon you know say you're down to D and you do like dust broom and then all of a sudden you do another song like uh, uh, a muddy uh, muddy song in D and then another one in D no matter what the grooves are and how much it switches if they're all in the same key mm-hmm. it, the listener gets real bored after a while it's, it just sounds like a continuation of the same song that's right that. yeah totally that, I agree yeah. and that happens on albums as well yeah. and also if you repeat the instrumentation if you had a song where you have a guest harp on there and then the next song the guest harp I mean imagine if we're both in the key of G both had harp on them both had this no matter what the tempo or the groove was it's like wow they just it's like the band just turned into a different song midstream and there's no break between mm-hmm. the songs no matter mm-hmm. what, what you sing or whatever 
So, yeah, the Down Home Boogie would pretty much showcase what was yet to come on the whole album. But yeah. I'm glad you noticed it. Oh, yeah. So, a- so how do you how, how do you sit there and try to sequence this record? How, how, what was that like? Um, well, you were, well, because you've written the songs, it, it kind of it happens. You, you, in your mind, you, you, you kind of get a feel for it early. But you want to you wanna start off with a bang, get that going a little Slow it down a little. Just you, 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 you craft it just like a, a show, just yeah. like a concert. And then you bring them down in, in the in the in the middle, mm-hmm. and then you work it. So you start searching for songs out of the, the the list that you've done. Okay, this will work with this. And then you actually put them back to back, and you listen over and over and over. And you start at the beginning. Then you you put like a two two second uh, pause or three second between songs and see how the other one picks in and see if it's a real comfortable progression from one song to the other, like the uh, um, uh, Swamp Thing. Mm-hmm. The timing of those crickets. Yeah. You know, all of a sudden you're listening to Root to All Evil and you hear these crickets. I've had people, <laughs> fans have told me that the crickets sounded so real that they thought they were inside your car. <laughs> Just hearing you talk about it, I mean, you talk about it so visually. I can actually almost picture it all. You, you really, well, that, yeah. you really busted your butt on this one. Yes, absolutely, absolutely, because it's it's important. And I'm, you know, I'm 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 working with a singer. Yeah, you know, and uh, the singer has to have a, have his own style, but at the same time, has to make each song interesting. You know. 
right. that it's not oh, okay it's just this same guy singing over this same kind of so uh, he even changed his voice for like the swamp thing he, he sure very, did yeah <laughs> he sure did on a lot of tracks yeah. a couple of tracks I was yeah. like is that the same guy yeah man it, it's yeah it's great that was all thought out and, and plus realize he's from Norway huh. so we had a, a you know I mean he speaks his English is perfect but you know they, they, they speak the, the the kings and queens English so their their enunciation is actually perfect English right. which is actually sometimes too perfect for an American kind of vibe right for rock and roll yeah we had to really dumb him up to sing <laughs> you know to, to sing real <laughs> you there Paul are you there that style of voice mm. that, that fit that kind of swampy you know that's almost like a Badlands kind of song yeah oh there was a, that was a great band I dug that band Oh, they were they were killer. Yeah, that was one of the most perfect albums ever. Absolutely, yeah. I agree. Um, yeah. So there you go. That's that's what was put into this. So I, I hope the well the fans the fans are really digging it. Uh, I'm happy with that. But I, I hope uh, more of your listening fans will get into it, so so they can actually hear what we're what we're talking about here. Oh yeah, for sure. They got. I mean, people. If you don't, if if you know, once again. And this is to the audience. I'm. I mean, I I hear people all the time tell me, "Man, there's nothing good coming out anymore." Well, really, this is good. If, if you want, I, I mean, you, you want to feel good, get this record, man. <laughs> I really appreciate it because I, I. It's hard to create something different, and I had to be really specific about how different and what kind of niche I wanted to fill. You know, people say, "Oh." People profess to be into retroism and you know seventies vibe and this kind of thing, but right. uh, you know it's it's a big step. You know, mm-hmm. I I could have went blues, I could have went rock, so I just tried to do everything. Mm-hmm. So you know, well, you know, to make it unique. And it, and it's and it and it feels good too, which is that's that's the best part of it. It feels good. Yeah, well, I, I appreciate that because you know I I, I have a lot of people tell me it's it's their go to. You know, uh, recording. It's like, oh, I put this in when I go to work. Uh, fans say, or I, I just put it in when I did a long drive, or I was exercising to, you know, that kind of thing, or whatever yeah. they do in the course of their daily lives. And that's all I wanted, and that's the, that's what the, the experience that I wanted them to have that people were having when Queen put out a record mm-hmm. and this and that. Or you no, know, so so there sure. we go. Sure. So, so, so- Yep. So is there going to so be now, a, now? Now it's out in Japan. I don't know how they're going to accept that. We'll have to see. Are they going to go? They're going to go ape shit. <laughs> so is it going to be a tour or what? Uh, we're doing some dates in the Midwest in August that are just set up. I'm doing. There's so many projects I'm doing now, but now I'm just I'm doing you know the talking up the record and you know, but. Uh, I just finished a, a, a show yesterday, a project called The Sidemen with uh, Andy Aldor uh, from Dickie Betts, myself mm-hmm. from Johnny, uh, Jimmy Vivino. Mm-hmm. Um, we had the, the drummer from uh, Lenny Kravitz's band, so we're doing a lot of those. I'm still doing the Johnny Winter All Star stuff. I have this thing with Joe Louis Walker over here in, in uh, New York for the UN. It's called Blues for Peace, and we're doing BB uh, King's uh, outdoor, huge in, outdoor Washington Park concert. 
55 bar where Mike Stern plays and Wayne Krantz, you know, those guys. Sure. Uh, I'm psyched about that. That should be good. And then uh, a lot of stuff that I'm producing. I just produced uh, Joe Lewis Walker's just got a DMA. Uh, I produced his recent album. And then I have the, I got the blues cruise coming up with a buddy guy and Los Lobos and all that. Oh, wow. Now, is that going to be, is that, is that, are you going as Paul Nelson or are you going to bring the band? Yes, 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 because they're, they're, um, uh, I'm going to be a a guest and then I'll be a, a, you know, to do a lot of, I did clinics last time. Whenever I guest, I'm a clinician. Oh, that's cool. That's really cool. Yeah, because I did master classes with Johnny's, you know, when I was on the road. Oh, man. I've done done those a lot for, you know, the the various companies that I endorsed. Yeah. That's really cool. What a great thing to do that, man. So you're on the ship and they do it on the ship? Yeah, and that's where I met. uh, I did one with uh, John Rico Scott, the drummer. Uh huh. And uh, actually, I just played on his record. He's got a new solo record coming out. That was pretty cool. I guessed it on that. But um, yeah, I did a clinician with him and Chris Redden, or no, uh, Chris Alexander, the bass player on this. And that's how um, I discovered how good Chris was. (laughs) And I had seen him. And so I was like, oh, this guy's got to be on the record. But yeah, um, those are great. I've, I've always, I mean, when I started off, I, I taught for quite some time, and I really enjoy teaching. I did guitar columns, a lot of clinics for various companies, like I said, but um, yeah, I've always liked that end of it, too, you know? Yeah, that's cool. So, so what's happening with what's happening with the, the movie? Well, the movie's called Down and Dirty. It just came out uh, about a month or so ago. It was about the story of, of Johnny's life, um, his, uh, it's about uh, an iconic figure, an elderly statesman in the blues. It's about rock. It's about it's got cameos by uh, uh, Warren Haynes, Joe Perry, um, Derek Trucks, Clive Davis, Johnny's original guitar teacher, Luther Nally, is like 82. And he wow. speaks about how he taught Johnny Chet Atkins-style guitar. Mm-hmm. And it, it shows Johnny and I, you know, in Japan, mm-hmm. China, mm-hmm. when we did the David Letterman show, when he got the uh, Blues Hall of Fame award, he was re-gifted, and, and the director, Greg Oliver, was the guy who uh, directed the Lemmy documentary. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, yeah, he followed us around for three years, and it just came out. So um, That's great. Kind of, I, I, was, I was recently having a conversation with uh, Tommy Shannon, and he was telling oh. me, he was telling me that, you know, before Johnny, he didn't know anything about the blues. Tommy didn't know anything, he said. He says he went to uh, uh, Johnny's apartment, and they sat down there. There was milk crates filled with records. And he said he, he turned them on every, to everything from field hollers to muddy. And that, That's exactly what he did with me. Huh. How about that? Exactly. And because Shannon was a Motown guy. Yeah. That was it. Yeah, R&B. Johnny did the same thing. He said, you got to listen to this record, learn this riff. He, he pinpointed which exact riffs, because I was like, oh, I'll get all these records by Chuck Berry, you know. I'll, I'll get the CD versions, and you know, because he had the record player there, and he's like, and, I, and I'm like, he's like, no, 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 no. Get this album, this song, this riff. That's mm-hmm. the one I learned. So he cut me to the chase. You know, yeah. which was really, you know, it saved a lot of shopping around for these albums, <laughs> you know, 
in CD form. Some of them don't even exist. Yeah. They, they were never issued. But, uh, well, you, you know, know things right. like Chuck Berry, A Dozen Berries, uh, mm-hmm. uh, B.B. King, I Sing, uh, I Sing the Blues. You know, where B.B. Where King was, he said, here's where B.B. King was playing a Stratocaster. I was like, what? The whole record was done on a Strat. He goes, that's when he sounded his best. Wow. So he, he pointed out these things. He did the same thing with Shannon as well. What? Absolutely. Do you remember what record that was? That B.B. was... Uh, sing, uh, singing the Blues. Singing the Blues. Wow. I got to check that out. Yeah, he, really, he really sounds like Keybone. He goes, that's before B.B. started playing in that just the B.B. box. He goes, this was when he played all over the place. Right. And I never knew about that. Huh. Never knew about that. Huh. Well, you just told me. I never knew. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, he, he, he taught, taught me, he, he turned me on the Bobby Blue Bland. Oh, yeah. And, and he's like, that's where I learned all my call and answer riffs. Uh-huh. He goes, every every riff that I play that answers my vocal lines, I learned from those types of records. And he said, listen to this song, listen to this song, listen right. to this song. Right. And then those instrumental songs, you know, like Okie Dokie Stomp and all that stuff. Right. He, he, he was like, that was our eruption solo. If you couldn't play that, you didn't make it in Texas. <laughs> that was the song. If you could play the Okie Dokie Stomp all the way through, and that's why I put it on the Step Back with Brian Setzer. Right. Yeah, but that was the song he said. Wow. Yes, exactly. Shannon, yeah, Shannon was, oh, Shannon's in the movie too. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, he's a sweetheart. Oh, he's a great guy. Yeah, he's a total sweetheart. So with, I mean, he was, he was both with Steve Ray Vaughan and Johnny. Yeah. The two greatest guitar players in the world. Yeah. Talk about a lineage. Oh, unbelievable. It's wild. So with the uh with the new Joe Lewis Walker that uh record that you produced, um are you playing on that at all? Yeah, I'm playing on two tracks. Uh yeah. Two of them I produced it and playing on two tracks. Man, yeah, I, that's doing really good. I cannot believe how busy you have been. Oh, it's crazy. It never it never ceases. It's it's but that's that's what you do. Yeah. You, know, you keep on playing keep on working. That's well, but you love it too, so Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You know, it's funny, I ran it I ran into Gary Hoey and um Oh, I love Gary. We were talking about you and he was saying, you know, he says, I gotta tell you, about Paul, he says, he's an amazing guitar player. But even more than that, he's just the sweetest guy. He loves you. <laughs> I played with Gary for his uh, ho ho hoey. Yeah, I loved that. And then a oh, blast. We, we, we kicked butt together. It was great. It was great. You know, if ever I was to be a part of another band, there was a couple bands I would like to be a part of. One of them was his band, Great Players. Another one was I. I love uh, Anders Osborne. Mm-hmm. Great, great, great band. They're mm-hmm. doing really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And side by side with Warren Haynes. Every time I play with Warren and we're yeah. good friends, yeah. it's just some mag- magic there. And, and the fans are always like, you know, you two guys, just something, you know, we're into the same stuff. He was totally into Tommy Bowen. Oh, my God. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah, when I when I played in Jamaica with him, uh, with Governor Mule and Sonny, and that's where I actually asked Danny to be on my record. Um, he had uh, Sonny Landreth playing uh, uh, what was it Spectrum <laughs> yeah and Sonny goes to me he goes uh, he goes uh, I don't know that song 
you know, what am I going to, and yeah, so so we were working out the riff together. I go, like, well, it goes like this, and we're doing this and this and that. And he's like, you should be playing that song. You're the fusion guy. And I'm like, well, you didn't ask me to do it, and I'm here to, you know, play some Johnny stuff and whatever. And I go, it's a great freaking tune. But yeah, they... Yeah, Warren is a huge Tommy Bowen fan. Wow, huge. that's a trip. I would love to hear him do like the grind from the teaser record. That would be trippy. Oh, oh hell yeah! But yeah, he does like Red Baron and all that kind of stuff. He yeah. does all that. That whole uh, Billy Cobb Spectrum album was killer. That was yeah, that was some that. wild stuff. Wild. And that I really had to bite my tongue and not play that kind of stuff on this record. I was going out for a, a definite. <laughs> Vocal kind of record. Well, next record. Huh? Next time around. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, (laughs) then I can go into blues, I can do this and that. Yeah. But, um, yeah. That's so cool. This, I want to write, you know, songs. Well, that's great. So, so what's, what kind of gear is going on now? Anything new? Um, I know that, uh, Delaney's making me a guitar. He, he's made guitars for Andrews Osborne, Samantha Fish, Mike Zito. And I'm really getting into those because every time I play with those people, I'm like, boy, you're getting a great sound there. What is it? And it's, it's one of those Delaney's. They're all over the place. So he's making a guitar for me. That's pretty cool. I got, uh, I went uh, <laughs> uh, guitar shopping with Tom Permy because I, 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 um, he worked with Joe Paris a long, long time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I said, look, I, I, I really want to get like a 95. 90s, circa 90s standard Les Paul. So he made the shopping list and he took me to all these in, intimate little guitar shops. He says, we're going to go here, we're going to go here. And so I, I spent a day shopping with him and uh, we finally found a really nice uh, Les Paul. So I, and I've been a Strat guy for a real long time, especially with Johnny, because I wanted to have a different type of guitar set that didn't step on him. But um, yeah, I got the Les Paul and I got... God, I got so many guitars now, it's crazy. <laughs> it really helps in the studio to have a lot. Yeah. It really, you know. So what are you going to go What are you gonna go out with, though? Are you going to go out with the Strat or the Paul? I, I go out with the Strat and the Les Paul. I bring the best of both worlds. I yeah. bring the two. Those are the, the two. And then the GJ2, uh, you know about those? No. Yeah, that's uh, Grover Jackson. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The GJ2s, yeah. You got to look those up. They're great. All right. Um, uh, I use a lot. I use that a lot on the album. Um, great sounding guitar. You know, it's got that thing when you when you tap on the guitar, you can hear how hollow it is. It's kind of like when mm-hmm. Steve Vai dropped the, uh, the his guitar in the Crossroads movie, right? Out of out of disgust. Yes. Because <laughs> Machio Machio miraculously played better than him. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that sound that's that's the sound you look for in a guitar. If you knew that if you dropped that guitar and it sounded like a Vi's guitar hitting the floor in that hollow kind of way, yeah. that's that's the best sustaining guitar. And if you can knock a guitar when it's when the when the, when the volume's up and you hear that hollowness, even though it's a solid guitar, mm-hmm. that's the one. So if anybody's looking for the secret behind getting a guitar, <laughs> it's it's that it's that Stradivarius aged wood kind of heart uh, yeah. hollowness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the key. It's got to be a sustainiac. That's cool. You know, and it has to start with the wood. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like a blank canvas. You, you know, you can mask it with petals and all this other stuff, but if you don't start off with something, you're screwed. Yeah, for sure. And what about what about amps for you? 
Anything different? Uh, again, the Marshalls, the Jubilee, I got the, the JCM 2000, I used that. Uh, pedals, I just got a billion pedals, but I always go back to, you know, OC, I tried the OCD, I've been using those lately. Mm-hmm. Uh, MXR phasers, you know, 70s ones. Um, uh, tube screamers, the original tube screamers, I try those a lot. Uh, uh, again, the signal processors, the DV Mark, the multi-amp, got a ton of sounds. Oh, yeah, and I just recorded um, for... Um, Daryl's house. I did. Uh, I recorded some solos for the, the the winner of The Voice in China. Oh, <laughs> yeah. With with Brian Brian Adams's band. So that's coming out soon. Oh wow. Yeah. What? So that uh, there's talk that they might be sending me over there to do some touring over there. So we'll see. Well, that's cool. That oh man, I'm telling you, if that record starts to really heat up over there, they got to get you over there because that'll be a game changer. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody will know what's going on over here, but over there, I'll, I'll hey, get free food. Well, it's got <laughs> it's got to start somewhere, right? I mean, I mean, look at look, I mean, look, you could do what Cheap Trick did. Who knows? You know, they 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 weren't getting arrested over here, and then they had that record over there, and it did really well for them. <laughs> oh, that's another that was another go to record, you know, researching. Yeah. But yeah, absolutely, that's yeah. And then, uh, like I said, the release is out in Japan, so I'll probably turn over there. You know, once that starts taking off, if it does. But uh, yeah, I got I have the backing of you know Sony Music, and that was great. So that is great. So they, yeah, they're starting to push it now. So Good. they love you know, guitar-oriented music. They love classic rock. They love you know they're, they're huge in this. They love Jason Becker. They love Paul Gilbert. You know, so mm-hmm. I just did an interview for the Young Guitar Magazine over there. Uh huh. So that'll come out, you know. They we did a whole press docket about the release and stuff. So that's excellent. That's but excellent. when we toured there with Johnny, it was killer. It was great. Oh, I bet. We went over there like three times, four times. That's cool. Yeah. Well, Paul, I can't tell you how much it's it's great to talk to you again, and I'm so happy for you and this record. It's just fantastic. Thank you, and I'm so glad you enjoyed it because you know, and we've talked before you know about the other stuff the real guitar shredding fusion kind of thing mm-hmm. you know the, the guitar is still in there and there's still the ripping and still the stuff but now it's in a really to me it's in a real cool uh, classic rock kind of, you know everything from ZZ Top to Allman Brothers to Jam to right. kind of vibe no, I this, really enjoyed it this is the record of the summer right here that's what that's what this is. This is a summer record. You know, you you're at the beach or you're or like I said, driving in the car. That this this is really driving in a car record, man. It's such a great record that way. I appreciate it, and I think not that I'm I'm going to change the world, but I think music is at a good point right now where because of guys like Warren mm-hmm. and uh, you know the scene that's coming out of New Orleans and this and that. Um, uh, the, the audience is getting exposed to more of a diverse style of music. You know, mm-hmm. one minute they're getting hit with Mormon Brothers and they're getting hit with, you know, Warren's playing with Schofield and they're doing Fusion and two minutes right. later the tributes to ACDC and mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So I think we're at a point where you don't have to pigeonhole yourself and play one specific style of music on a recording. The, the, the fans and the audience actually enjoy hearing more stuff and feel like they're getting more money more more for their buck 
mm-hmm. when when they get a variety of stuff, and it allows the artist to stretch. Mm-hmm. So, so each the artist is encouraging the fans they want more, and the fans are encouraging the artists to write more. Yeah. So, so so that's why I was like, you know what? I think I can do whatever I want on this, as long as I have some kind of theme. And that theme was the seventies, mm-hmm. and it was guitar orientated. You know, Bad Company, Aerosmith, that kind of early, mm-hmm. you know, the early stuff, like Dream On and all that stuff. That, Ted Nugent, uh, all, I mean, we, I just, uh, we Googled 70s and we just listened to everything for, <laughs> for weeks before we even started just to, to get the vibe. Right. You know, we weren't running around in bell bottom flared jeans and stuff, but it, it was pretty close. <laughs> well, you picked the perfect title too, which is the title is perfect because it was a badass generation. Exactly, and that's a play on words because um, every time we played the stuff in the studio, you know, you bring in the test market, you know, to. Uh, any musicians that are in the studio, hey, check this out, what do you think of this? And you know, and you, that kind of thing. And I'm like, oh, wow, that's pretty badass. Ah. Wow, well, that's badass. And, and a light bulb went off. I go, what is this, some kind of badass generation? Everybody's saying badass, badass. I'm like, uh-oh. So it's, <laughs> it's, it's this generation right. saying that that generation was badass. And it just, I'm like, you know what, We're, I'm going with that. That's, you know, if you're into this, then you're part of the now badass generation that appreciates that because everything, everything is described now using badass. Oh, what a badass guitar. Oh, your computer's badass. Oh, what a badass car, you know. <laughs> so I'm like, it's it's very timely. So that's why I went for that. But again, cool. thank you. And we'll do this again, I hope. And, uh, Absolutely. Cool. Anytime, anytime you want to be on the show, you just let me know, man. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. All right. You have a great evening, and uh, we'll speak to you soon, man. All right, thanks. All right, see ya. Well, there you have it, folks. Uh, Like I said earlier, you need to go and check out this record, um, Badass Generation by the Paul Nelson Band. You can go to paulnelsonguitar.com or thepaulnelsonband.com. And, of course, you can get it at iTunes, Amazon, all those places. Uh, It's a great record. Uh, Like I said, on my my list for the summer, it... uh, along with the new Jeff Beck record and the Supersonic Blues Machine record. the um, Oh, God, what else am I listening to on heavy rotation right now? And the uh, Lightbulb Vaporizer record um, with guitarist uh, Lily Inouye. Um Great stuff, man. Uh, it's been a really good summer, really great music. Well, we got to get out of here. In the meantime, take care of each other. Take care of yourselves. Keep on playing. And please, buy it. Don't steal it. And we'll see you on the next episode of Guitar Radio Show. Peace. Everybody say, you, Ed. I like this crowd already. GRS Productions. New episodes of Guitar Radio Show air every Wednesday on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Podbay, Player FM, Podomatic, and of course on GuitarRadioShow.com.